You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Well, welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. It has been a hot minute since we've had a podcast, so I appreciate everyone's patience. And I think that you'll be excited for this episode. In this episode, I want to talk about one of the core struggles that lies at the heart of masculinity, and that is the tension between a longing for adventure, for warfare, for exploration of the vast world out there on the one hand, and the desire for home, place, and family on the other. I'm calling this the tension between wildness and rootedness. And I believe it's at the core and heart of many men's struggles. So on the first hand, it's very obvious that men are hardwired for wildness. Without epic battles and arduous journeys, without daunting adventures, men easily grow stagnant, they grow bored, and they grow listless. And so from the time they are boys, manly souls cry out for dangerous, daunting situations in which to test themselves. There is a need to wrestle with the wildness, things that John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt, or perhaps the old man, in The Old Man in the Sea, those were the things they were doing. And then they came out victorious on the other side. They were men tested and proven true. And in the heart of men, there is a desire for this kind of test, which can only happen in wildness and in adventure. Now, in the biblical record, God had a way of raising up his chosen men from the wilderness, as men like David and Moses, Abraham and Jacob, and even Jesus Christ himself, well, they all went to the mountain. They went to the wild places with the wild beasts, and they wrestled with those wild places and beasts and conquered. Through these experiences, they were transformed in character, in their tenacity, and in their endurance. On the other hand, mature masculinity longs for what I will call rootedness. It's the longing for home, for place, and for a people. The great Abrahamic promises illustrate this longing of the masculine identity. For it was God who promised Abraham a land and a people. In other words, men must not only go out to war, they must come home to win a bride or to raise up children and to establish themselves in a particular local place. They build wealth, they enjoy the pleasure and duty of domestic life, and they see their life go on after death in and through their offspring. They have an innate longing to see their visions, their institutions, and their cultural heritage passed down to following generations in a particular place and context. Recently, I've been contemplating these realities while bow hunting elk in the Rocky Mountains, where I've been in large part alone in the wilderness. Now, before the season begins, my spring and summer are spent at a desk writing articles, researching, studying, podcasting, and in general going about the daily rhythms of life with my wife and sons around me. There's the comfort of the home. There's warm interior spaces, there's home-cooked meals, there's daily familial interactions, there's running water, there's hot showers, and yes, there's indoor plumbing. All things that we take for granted, and they are good things. 
But good as these things are, they slowly give way to longings in my soul and heart for adventure, for exploration, for wild places and thick-horned elk, for dark timber and steep mountain slopes. You see, good as domestic and comfortable modern life is, too much of it breeds boredom and it softens you as a man. And so, with months to anticipate the adventure of the hunt to come, I begin this process of cutting arrows and gluing on my fletching. I spend hours flinging arrows at targets in the backyard. And as archery season begins, I head to the mountains and spend more time listening to, well, the snapping twigs and squirrel barks than I normally do, listening to email chimes and responding to them, listening to the coffee pot alert me that it's turning off, or hearing the incessant chiming of a smartphone with its endless notifications. You see, all the comforts of life are replaced by constant discomfort in the wilderness. On most days I rise at 3 a.m., I hike painstaking miles through the timber to some remote spot on a steep mountain, and I do this on an empty stomach. Right now I'm averaging about 7 to 10 miles per day and roughly 1,800 feet in elevation climbed. During this time I'll follow elk trails for hours. I'll do all my pooping under a wild tree with a cold and naked bum. I'll take a short nap on a sunny hillside until I'm rudely woken up by ants crawling on my face, then return to camp after dark with just enough energy to force down a dehydrated meal and crawl into my sleeping bag atop a not-so-plush cot. Aching and sore and beleaguered, I rise again at 3 a.m. to start the process all over again. After weeks of this, if a big bull is on the ground, and that's a mighty big if, most archery bow hunters know the success rate, even in a good unit, might be 10 to 15%. Even if the big bull is on the ground, all the worst, most physically grueling work begins at that point. For if you kill an elk and you quarter an elk, that means you will have spent hours packing out hundreds of pounds of meat and hide and bone, all amidst the blisters and rashes and bug bites and sunburn amidst the darkness and the loneliness and the biting cold. Having been tested in the dark, lonely wild, my longing for adventure and wildness is soon replaced with the longing for home. I ache for my wife's presence. My children's laughter and the joy of domestic existence, well, they are pure bliss to my longings. And these longings converge in an internal dialogue with appreciation for a people and a place to call my own. When I do return home, having been tested, I do so more confident, more courageous, and somehow unconcerned with how many followers I have on social media, what people think of me, or what I've accomplished in my career. Somehow the essential, the weighty things in life come into focus, while all the noisy, busy static of life, well, it fades away. The call of the wild has silenced, for a time, the never-ending drone of the world's hollow demands. Now this seasonal dance between wildness and rootedness in place, I believe, has been baked into the fabric of masculinity from the beginning of human history. Perhaps nothing captures it better than Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, two epic works of literature and poetry by the blind poet 
that symbolize this two-part movement in every man's life. You see, the Iliad is about Odysseus' journey to war, and the Odyssey is about his journey home to reclaim his place as father, husband, and master of the domestic domain. And intertwined in all of this is Odysseus' son, Telemachus, who yearns to prove himself worthy of his his heroic father and becomes a pivotal, essential force for helping Odysseus return home. It's a powerful illustration of what multi-generational building projects can look like when the hearts of fathers and sons return to each other. As Wendell Berry has pointed out in many of his writings, this narrative has played out for centuries. Young men leave home only to prove themselves in war and exploits abroad, and then they face a stinging desire. Somehow the hometown that they long to escape, well, now they long to return. They long to return to the place of their origins, to put down roots, to sow their seeds, and to cultivate the enduring bonds of family and community. They want to start businesses. They want to invest in their progeny, and slowly they will build wealth, homes, and reputations. This is the struggle every man in pursuit of hard masculinity must face. It is the dance between wildness and rootedness, between adventure abroad and generational building at home and in one particular local place. You see, men love adventure and risk-taking and facing danger. That's why men tend to dominate the aisles in the bookstore that deal with sports, history, war, and exploration. Men are so often fascinated with Winston Churchill, with World War II or the Civil War, with Shackleton's Antarctic heroisms, with feats atop Mount Everest, with Norman Maclean's A River Runs Through It, this great story based in real life on fly fishing in Montana and brothers and fathers and Presbyterianism. You see, we read about other manly men and their heroic exploits, from survival and invention to war and exploration. This is what men do. And what we're often so not good at, I will say, is seeing the profound joy and lasting impact of raising covenant faithful children or cultivating a happy, loving marriage. One of the great questions, as Thoreau put it, is why so many men lead quiet lives of desperation. In general, I want to break this down for us, but in general, it is because men have done one of three things. Number one, they have abandoned any pursuit of wildness. So many men today in our culture have done this. They've settled for their cubicle and Netflix, and there really is no sphere in their life in which they pursue wildness in any capacity. So that's number one. They've abandoned any pursuit of wildness. Number two, they have rejected rootedness in place. Part of the problem with our culture, as we'll see, is that we live in a culture that fosters and encourages transience. Number three, they have done some combination of both of these things. So I want to unpack these just a little bit. I want to unpack how as men there are really two main pitfalls when it comes to navigating this tension between wildness and rootedness within ourselves. So first of all, the first pitfall is that men become soft, neutered, and incompetent as they wallow in a life of safety, ease, comfort, and physical or mental flabbiness. It's all too common for men that they stop taking risks. They stop charting courses of innovation or they stop leveraging their skills for lasting significance. Instead, life for them becomes obsessed with safetyism, 
Well, I can't do that. It's not safe. Well, I can't do that. The government doesn't approve because I don't have a mask on. What will others think of me? What if I fail? What if I try to start that business and it doesn't work out? And so, men, we settle for a life of ease and comfort. It's all about temperature-controlled spaces and the avoidance of anything resembling backbreaking work. The thought of being cold, wet, or lonely is utterly revolting to us. So we drown our lives with the constant noise of Netflix, talk radio, news channels, and endless Twitter feeds. I remember the comedian Jim Gaffigan saying one time, I'm an American. I can't even remember a time in the last two decades when I even felt hungry. We don't work with their hands, break a sweat, or do physically or mentally demanding things as men. We don't face danger or risk with manly prowess. These things, because of modern society, have been almost completely excised from our lives. And as I said before, instead of starting businesses and adventuring out and starting schools, starting institutions, we become nothing more than time clock punchers. Yes, men in a corporate structure, easily controlled by the fear of losing our 401k, our health benefits, or our station on the company ladder, no matter how fickle that actually is. So that was the first pitfall. And the second pitfall is this. We often fail to see the value of place and rootedness and so settle for transient lives without any domestic responsibility. We become high-powered businessmen, womanizers, world travelers, or professional soldiers who fail our families because we're never home. Our children and wives, while they barely know us, our marriages are disasters. It's because we believe the most important, significant, exciting work is, well, out there. And so we fail to realize the God-ordained priority of investing in generational faithfulness with our children and with a healthy relationship with our wife right here, in our homes, in our own personal lives. As a result of this, many men are successful in the workplace, but yet they are anemically incompetent at home. Now, I want to examine for a moment as well the cultural currents and the cultural moment in which we find ourselves and why so many of these things are difficult for us to face as men. You see, the other major factor in all of this is the cultural forces that shape us on a regular basis. Modern culture, which is driven by globalist corporate structures and bottom lines, as well as feminist ideologies that war against manliness and God-ordained sexuality, well, this modern culture so often views the adventurous side of the masculine equation as, well, let's call it obsolete. Let's call it uncomfortable, or let's call it unnecessary. Such a culture doesn't see value in the manly proclivity toward wildness or exploration of the unknown, because this kind of society rightly understands that wild men are hard to control. I want you to hear that, man. Wild men are hard to control. John the Baptist was hard for the religious authorities to control in his day. Yay, impossible. This is why they hated him so much. This is why status Herod ultimately had him put to death because John was a loose cannon. Wild men are hard to control. They become a little too self-sufficient and therefore a little too courageous. They act a little too free and they soon develop eyes that see the consumeristic debt-based materialistic mindset 
Well, for the enslaving sham that it is. The same culture promotes transience. Now, I want you to think about this. Corporate environments so often force multiple relocations across a career to ascend the hierarchy or climb the corporate ladder or even simply to stay employed. So many of the jobs that I've worked, this is the case. I had a boss tell me some years ago, he said, look, Eric, if you want to move up in the company, you're going to have to move every couple of years from different companies. And so this completely destroys rootedness. So economic forces and government regulations heavily penalize anyone looking to start a small business or exist on a single income or remain in a particular local place. It's very, very difficult to stay in one place for any length of time. To remain small and nimble and familial and to remain local is a difficult task in the world today because of all these forces. It might even be bordering on the impossible. It sometimes feels this way in a society that is forever pushing toward urbanization, globalism, and bigness at all costs. Now, I want to point out, too, the church is but one microcosm of how cultural trends affect local places and rootedness. For example, the typical seminary graduate will generally find his first pastorate in a small local place. This is seen as training ground, where he is not from there and won't stay there. It's merely a stepping stone to a bigger urban church with more affluence and money. Rural church pulpits are generally full, therefore, of either inexperienced or utterly unqualified men. Now, if the pulpit is transient, the pew is often equally so. As I said before, following corporate jobs, the majority of congregants move every three to five years and they attend church only as is convenient. Attending a church becomes an afterthought. The main priority is your corporate job. Now, this makes it extremely hard to build a lasting work of the kingdom in any one community. Again, think of things like schools, media production, or small businesses leverage for community impact. These things are hard to establish and keep running if people are always leaving. Needless to say, transience has become the culturally normative force, and even so within the church. I want you to think of giant oak trees. Where trees don't put down deep roots, their fruit and overall impact is small. This is perhaps one reason why, to paraphrase the late, great J.I. Packer, well, the modern church is theologically speaking, a thousand miles wide and a half inch deep. All of this, I would argue, grates against the masculine soul because it is a soul that longs for a people and a place where battles and works of reform can take place across generations and where these battles and these work find their true lasting meaning. Now, at this point, it's important to assess where you as a man are on the spectrum between Let's call it the adventurous warfighter and the rooted reformer. Keep in mind, as men, we are always in flux through different seasons of life. But the goal is to be like Nehemiah. You remember he was building the wall, and yet there they were, and he instructed the men, he said, keep a sword and a trowel in your hands. So we are always fighting and we're always building. As men, we need to keep this tension and keep this balance. We never put down the sword. And we never put down the carpenter's hammer. We're always doing both things 
at the same time. So I want to help you evaluate where you are on this spectrum. And in order to do so, I'm going to ask a few questions. Number one, what are you actively invested in building in your local place? Are you building institutions? Are you building robust households? Are you building Christian schools, small businesses where your sons can work? Are you investing in Christian media and or content production, things that will last for generations? I want you to think of Moscow, Idaho. I want you to think about what Doug Wilson has done with his children, with Canon Press, with Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, with Cross Politic, with producing movies, Indy Wilson producing books, right? Cultural production. So your gift might not be filmography, but you can invest in it in different ways or you can invest in the books. You can invest in different ways of Christian education and small business that is beneficial for the Christian community. You can get involved in real estate for the sake of the church and the kingdom. So that's a good question to ask yourself. How invested are you in building institutions in your local place? Number two, how rooted are you in your local place? Now, admittedly, this is a difficult question, but I want you to examine a few things about your life. Is your own family thriving? Are they growing in godliness? Are they contributing in meaningful ways to your neighborhood, to your real, actual, physical neighbors, and to the community around you? What I do not mean by this question is, is your family involved in 42 competitive sports leagues? But instead, what I'm asking is, is your household engaging other households as a model for bringing the kingdom of Christ to local communities? Are you the kind of man of covenant blessing that, number one, creates joyful Christian culture, and number two, attracts others to himself? As men, we ought to be like Abraham, the fountainhead of covenant blessing, right? People wanted to be around him. His family was with him and wanted to be with him. Even other kings in other regions said, make a covenant with me because I see that God is blessing you. So are you the kind of culture maker that is attractive to other people, including people in your community and your neighborhood? Again, it's another way to ask the question, how rooted are you in your local place? The third question I want to ask is this. Are your kids going to stay in the same place where you live when they are old enough to start their own household? This is a great way to assess whether you've created the kind of culture that is attractive and magnetic like Abraham. Like the, are you the covenant blessing man that people are attracted to, including and foremost your own children? This means that if you're going to be attractive and magnetic, that your kids need meaningful employment. They need quality relationships. They need institutions that will hold them. So the question, men, is have you worked to create those? Third, in what ways do you find adventure, danger, and conquest in the world out there? Are you actively engaging in meaningful work and fighting that challenges you, that exhausts you, and sharpens your tactical masculine virtues? Because as men, we need this. Now, next question is this. In what ways are you embracing adventurous, wise risk-taking? Maybe it's to start a business for the young men in your church, as we said, so that they can find employment outside of the disaster and the dumpster fire that is corporate America. Maybe it means founding a Christian school 
so that your children, A, don't have to go to public school, but also so that they can be educated in an exemplary fashion by other Christian people. Or maybe it means organizing a wilderness fishing and camping trip with the dads and sons in your community or coming up with a program like the non-gay BSA, Boy Scouts of America, where people, men and their sons, can be taught and learn how to be men, orienteering, personal finance, knot tying, things like this. These are things that you can start, but the question is, are you doing this? Are you embracing this adventurous risk-taking? The question is, men, when's the last time your life felt like an adventure? When's the last time that your life felt like a war and a fight that demanded everything of you? We ought to be able to point to certain seasons or periods or activities or events where we say, it's been a fight. But the question for you men is, when is the last time that your life felt like an adventure and a fight? Now, the last thing I want to do in this episode is explore the ways in which God has chosen to raise up his best men. The men who serve their generations as fountainheads of covenant blessing. How he raised these men in the wilderness. I I find this fascinating. As I said earlier in the show, John the Baptist, Jesus, Elijah, Jacob, Abraham, Moses, they all had their finding God moments, if you want to call them that. They're wrestling with God moments in the wild places. This is where God tested them, number one, And number two, this is where God revealed himself to them. So I want to look at some of the ways the wild places shape God's covenant men, particularly prophets and those who build and bless within their generation. So number one, the wilderness, God uses the wilderness as a place of testing. We often have romantic notions about what the wilderness is like because our only experience of it is from fictional books, or overly romanticized movies. But as the History Channel's alone reality TV show illustrates, and I've been watching this recently with my buddy Mike, being alone in the wild is often terrifying. It's often lonely, and it's difficult in ways that we cannot fathom. Once you think about Christ fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, that was no cakewalk. And when it says that Jesus was among the wild beasts, it's not like they were having like, you know, a petting zoo and Jesus was like, oh, pretty kitty. No, I mean, this was like a dangerous, fearful, difficult time in the life of Christ. He's being tempted by Satan. And the presence of wild creatures in wild places is not a comfort. Just like in the show alone, people are left to survive in the Arctic wilds or they're left to survive in the Rocky Mountains, and more often than not, it almost totally breaks them physically and mentally. I can testify to this from being alone in the wilderness. It, it can be terrifying. It's no mistake, though, that some of the most soul-stirring poetry in the Psalms was written by David when he was near death or dying of thirst alone in wild places. As we see with Christ... The wilderness was a place of fasting. It was a place of spiritual battle. It was a place of temptation from Satan. It's in the context of that wrestling and warfare in the wild, so much of which represents the battles within, that the creative spark of truth and beauty and goodness emerges to refresh a world in drunken blindness. In reality, the wilderness hardens men. Right? We're told in Matthew 11, we 
talked about this earlier in the this season of the show, that John the Baptist was not soft. He was not malikos. That's the Greek word. And a huge reason why was because his home turf was in the wild. He was eating grasshoppers. He was eating wild honey. He was wearing camel skins. It was anything from a comfortable existence. So here's the point, man. If you want to be hard, you have to live hard. You have to go into wilderness experiences. You have to be tested and you have to be proven true. If you want to be a man with gravitas, you have to be a man who's tested. Now, number two, God used the wilderness, which is a harsh place of hardening, to train his covenant men for maximal effectiveness as prophets of God. Right? This is where God raises his prophets. He does not raise his prophets in air-conditioned rooms, right, with furnace and with thermostat-controlled comfort at every extension of your fingertip. That's not where God raises his prophets. Those men who speak uncomfortable truths, no matter the cost, they are raised in wild places. I remember Nate Wilson, N.D. Wilson, once said that when you grow up eating locusts and wild honey and dressing in camel skins, it's clear that your father doesn't want you to be very concerned with what other people think of you. You see, prophets don't come from posh seminaries so often or comfortable lives. They come from the wilderness of testing. And like so many of you men, you didn't come from soft lives. You didn't come from ease. You're not trust fund babies, right? You came from difficulty. You came from the school of hard knocks. And I want to encourage you men, this, this is good for your soul, right? Pastor Brian Sauvey, Ogden, Utah, he always reminds me, right? It's good to be hated. It's good for you to be hardened by the testing of difficult trials. And so the wilderness is the place where God raises men who are going to be hard and who are going to speak hard, plain truths. Right? Don't miss that. So much of what our generation needs is men who are less concerned what big evangelicalism thinks about them. Right? We need less men who are concerned with whether or not they're wearing the trendiest item of clothing. Am I listening to the trendiest playlist on Spotify? Well, think of someone like John the Baptist. He'd be like, I don't know. I don't care. I don't even, you know, he's, he's completely unconcerned with what people think. And that's where we need to be as men as well. And so we need wild places and we need testing. So number three, the wilderness is a place of revealing. Not only does the wilderness test us, not only to make us better men, But it also is the place so often where God reveals himself to his prophetic heads of covenant blessing, right? This is where God met Moses. Moses was alone on the mountain, keeping his father-in-law's flock. And that's where God revealed himself in the burning bush, right? Moses was in another sort of metaphorical wilderness because he, like he was high up in Pharaoh's court and then he kills some dude and then he's got to flee. And now he's a shepherd. I mean, he probably wasn't feeling real high on life. He wasn't climbing the corporate ladder. He was relegated to obscurity. How many of us have been there? And it was alone on the mountain in the wilderness with wild animals threatening the flock. And Moses was tending the flock. This is where God showed up and God revealed himself to Moses. Right? God didn't reveal himself to Pharaoh at that point. He didn't reveal himself 
to soft men and soft clothing and soft places in the lap of luxury. He revealed himself to Moses on the side of the mountain. Right? It's where God met Jacob and wrestled with him all night near the river Jabbok. It's where God told Abraham and Jacob, this is the land in which you will take root and fill with your people. Right? This is where God revealed to Jacob the ladder ascending to heaven at Bethel. It's where God showed up to speak with Elijah on the mountain. It's where the transfiguration happened. Wilderness. Now, why do I think this happened? Well, I think God so often reveals himself in wild places because he himself is not a tame God. He is terrifying and he is awe-inspiring. When you sit beneath 14,000-foot peaks... As the lightning crashes and the bears roar in your ear and the darkness terrifies you, you will start to get a glimpse of just what it means to be in the presence of God. He is not safe. He is not docile. He is not tame. He is the wild man. And it seems that he delights to raise up his sons as wild men. Well, I hope this episode of the Hardman Podcast has been encouraging for you. I hope it both challenges you to pursue wildness, and it also challenges you to pursue rootedness. These two themes are often in tension. They seem opposite, but they're not. And it's what God seems to be cultivating in his people throughout, throughout Scripture. So I'd encourage you men, seek wildness, seek rootedness. And above all, seek to be faithful to the God of the covenant who will give you a land and a people. I want to say a special thank you to all the new folks who have joined us on Patreon. I appreciate your support. If you haven't already done so, you can send me a message. We'll get you in the Marco Polo chat group. Uh, I've been a little bit absent from that group, and I appreciate everyone else who's been continuing to chat in there. We've got Aaron and Jared and... Uh, Barry, who are going strong, holding the holding on to the baton for us. So I appreciate that. Um, and I will make a better effort to be in there as well. I appreciate everything you guys have shared in that group. Of course, you can follow me on ericcon.com. That's E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N.com. You can, if you're a Patreon member, you will get the VIP treatment with the special Hardman newsletter. There is a fresh episode coming out at the beginning of next week, so be looking forward to that. If you sign up as a VIP patron, you will also receive a Hardman Logo pint glass, 16 ounces, so you can let the next round be on us. Again, we appreciate all the supporters. You guys have been magnificent. And until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.